Babakama Dav Tzadi. We're starting from six lines down, but the Gemara says it will plukta dahani tanai. So we have been discussing on uh, the previous prices here whether or not avding malug are yotz into the woman, to the husband, or to neither. So the case is avding malug were slaves that own to the woman, to her wife, and now the husband has the right to use them. And now, if the wife knocks out the, the eye or the tooth of the slave, the question is, does the slave go free? So we had a machlokas between two brises about that. The Gemara was interested, does it depend if Kinnipers can goof? Does it depend whether or not there's a takana of Usha? Does it depend if, if, if it's if, um, Shekhar's mafkim and Deshiba? That was yesterday's daf right at the end. So now the Gemara presents a similar thing. This issue is similar to what's discussed here in these Tanan. The Tanan says in the Bible, Samokha Avdala Akhar, someone who sold, and Evan Kanani is someone else. And the seller made a stipulation with the buyer that the slave should continue to serve him for 30 days. So basically, for those next 30 days, the buyer owns a Kenyan Akhov, and the seller has the Kenyan payers, the right to use. So now the question is who is the owner during those 30 days? What is this so relevant to? A little introduction. The Pasuk in Parshish Mishpatim says that if a master strikes his Evid Kenani and he dies, so he is punished. Even though it's his slave, he can't kill him. So the halacha is that if the slave, though, survives for a day or two, 24 hours pass and he doesn't die, so then we say that even if he did subsequently die, the master is not liable. And that is a very unique thing that only applies to a master hitting him. If anyone else strikes the slave, then even if the slave would die after 24 hours, if we can assess that it happened from the blow, then um, then somebody else would be liable as well. It's only this Allah of Yomi Yomayim, that if the slave survives 24 hours, so then there's no liability. That is unique only for a master. So the question is, if someone sold his Evi to somebody else, and he's retaining the right to use it for those 30 days, so now for those 30 days, well, who has the din of Yom Yomayim? Meaning, who has the law that if they strike the slave, and the slave still survives for 30 days, that they don't, um, that they're not guilty? So Rabbi Meir, Omer Rabbi Meir says, The first one, the original owner, he has the din of Yom Yomayim. If he strikes the slave and causes his death, as long as he survived, as long as the slave survived 24 hours, the first master is the one, the original owner is the one who has that halakha. He wouldn't be liable if it wasn't within 24 hours. Because we go with the right of using it. That's the nature you talked to. Because Lamai says it's under, it's under him. Meaning to say that he's the one who's using him for these 30 days. So even though he doesn't own like the, the essence of the slave himself since he's using him for these 30 days. So he has the cool of Yom Yomayim, but the second master not. So if the second master were to strike him and he dies after 24 hours, the second master would be liable. That's the first opinion. The Gemara explains, Because Abraham and Pesach, you go. Mayor holds that the right to use the produce is tantamount to the right of using the essence. So he's the acre owner. The first one is the acre owner. So he has the one with the kingdom pair. So he has uh, the dinner of Yomi Yomayim, and the second one does not. Rabbi Yudah Omer Riza says, Shane Gashom Dinner Yomayim. No, the second one is the dinner of Yomi Yomayim. The Jew Gospel, the Mice, it's his property. Rabbi Yudah says that we go after who is the goof of the owner, not who is currently using it. Because he holds the right of using it is not kicking it out. Both of them have the cool of the original owner because he's using the slave, and the buyer because the slave is technically his property. The Gemara explains he is unsure. He's unsure whether or not the right to use something is treated like the, the property's essence or not. So we have a doubt in matters of life and death, whether or not he's responsible for the murder, we are always lenient, and we exempt, both people are exempt from uh, the original owner and the buyer from the death sentence. 
Both of them do not have lacha dinu If either of them <coughs> would strike the slave and the slave would die after 24 hours from the blow, they would both be liable. Zelafish and the of the buyer because he's not using him as Zelafish when the original owner because it's technically not his. So Rabbi Lezer is basically saying that this joint ownership or one as one aspect of Kenyan Gov and one of the other aspect of Kenyan Peros makes it that neither of them is considered the, the true owner. It's his property. Has to be only his property since in a way it's not his and in a way it's not his so neither master has the leniency about the 24 hours. So <coughs> previously we've, we, we've just been we're talking about Nixay Malug. What in the world the halacha is about Nixay Malug? Is it the woman? Is it is it the husband? If she has Nixay Malug and they're Avadim, is she the master? Or is the husband the master? So they would have a disagreement uh, all this Allah with the yin din yamiyomayim and going free, we learned yesterday, would have the same sort of disputes. Says the Gemara, Kaman, Azal the Maymar, Maymar, who does the following statement of a Maymar go like? A Maymar said, Ishvi Ishvi Shemakhim If husband or wife sold Maksim Malok, Lost of Alukum, they haven't done anything. The sale is null and void. The slave doesn't uh, belong to either, so it's ineffective even if they come to sell it together. Who does that go like? My Grablazar, it's like Rabbi Lazar. So Rabbi Lazar basically saying that. It's not like a, a partnership where I have half and you have half. Here, it's like I have an aspect of the slave and you have an aspect of the slave. So neither one of us really have a sense of ownership, and therefore they can't they cannot sell. That's Rabbi Lezer's view. Who is the Tana of the following Brisa? The Brisa says, Someone who is half slave and half free. Or a slave of two partners. They don't go out. They don't go free. If a limb that doesn't come back gets knocked out. Who is the opinion? This is Rebbe Lezer. Mother Mordechai, Rebbe Asher, Yechem, Rebbe Shemedor, Rebbe Lezer. Rebbe Lezer. Meet Lomar, Rebbe Lezer, Kasper, Meuchelo. Just as we said for the 24-hour rule, that it has to be Kasper, which is Meuchelo's property, which is his sole property. Hachanami, for the din of the of going free for the eye or the tooth, Ba'adam Meuchelo. It's only if it's solely his slave. So according to Rebbe Lezer, the Chetzi of a Chetzi Ben Koran or the Evedish Neshotfim wouldn't go out with the loss of limb, because it's, neither one is going to be kaspo amiyuchadla. Okay, now the mission is going to list a certain basic amounts of money that have to be paid for humiliation. Remember, we're talking about boches here for personal injury. So the mission says, <coughs> somebody who shouts into the ear of his friend, I was in the cell, he has to pay him a cell. Review the Omer, Mishum Rebbe Yisagli, review this in the name of Yisagli, Mana. It is a Mana. So a mana is 25 uh, sela. So these amounts which are being listed are the amounts for humiliation. But if there was any bodily damage or whatever, that would also have to be paid for as well. We're talking about the Dmeha Boshas. Sitaro, if he slaps him on the cheek, no salam asylum. So he's doing 200. So it's he did with the back of his hand, which is more humiliating. No salam So he gives him 400. So if he pulls at his uh, ear, Talish Basar, he yanks his hair. Rakak, if he spits with Kiyo Baroko and the spit reaches him. Hever Talus Vimeno, if he takes off his um, garment, he leaves him standing without without clothes. Par Roshikisha Bashok, or he takes off <coughs> the head covering of a woman in the marketplace. So it's on the Abramayo, so he has to give uh, him or her, whichever one it is, 400 sos. Top of the Bezak, this is the rule. Everything depends on the level of honor. The more honorable the person is, the greater the award. The mission, the Gemara will explain. Does this mean you get more than these amounts that were said? Or are we saying that these are for the greater people and less honorable people get less? That will be discussed on um, the next stop. Amar Rabbi Akiva. 
Even the poorest person amongst Chal Yisrael is treated like they are an aristocrat who lost their wealth. They are all children of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So what Rabbi Kiva is saying is that the humiliation of a poor Jew, we assess as if that the victim was once an upper-class person who lost his wealth. So he's treating it more stringently than Tanakama. Tanakama looks at the current status, whereas Rabbi Akiva is saying even the poor person we view as if they were an aristocrat who recently lost their money. Umaisa, there was a story of Akhachapar Rosh Yishabashuk, there was a woman, um, someone took off the head covering of a woman in the market, possibly Rekiva, she comes in front of Rekiva, and he obligated the person to give her 400 zuz. Ambalo, he said to Rekiva, give me some time to pay. And as in those months, Rekiva granted him some time for the payment plan. Then he saw her, he waited for her. Again, this is the, the guy who at once uncovered her head covering. He waits for her until she's standing by the entrance of her corridor. He breaks a jug in front of her that had an Isra's worth of oil, so good amount of money. So Gil says, Rosh, in order to try to get the oil to make money, she uncovers her head. She said she she put her hand on the oil and put her hand on her head to smear her hair with the oil, which was at value. So what did he show? He showed this perpetrator, he showed that the woman herself was willing to uncover her hair. So he had been previously guilty of uncovering her hair and having to pay her. And now he was basically revealing that she herself would uncover her own hair. He sets up witnesses against her that, that she had done this. So the perpetrator said to Rabbi Kiva, I have to give her 400 zuz. Look, she would do it herself. Rabbi Kiva said, that's not a valid argument. You haven't said anything. Somebody wounds himself. He may not be allowed to do it. Potter, he's still potter. You're not supposed to wound yourself, but you don't pay yourself. But <clears throat> if other people wound them, they are still liable. Even if you would do it to yourself, other people who cause injury have a liable to pay. Also, someone who cuts down his own saplings, he may not be allowed to cut down his own trees, potter, he's exempt from paying. Other people who do the same thing are chayav. So, so do here, even though the woman humiliated herself in public, if you humiliated her, you still have to pay the full amount. So we said that the blow, now we get to the Gemara, the blow to the ear of Yosek, we said you have to pay a mana. So you buy a little mana tsuri tonight. Are we talking about a purely silver um, mana, like the one they used in Suri? In Suri, the currency for the mana was absolute silver. A mana medina tonight, maybe we mean a mana used in other countries, regular countries where it has a, only a one part silver and seven, seven parts of copper. So it would be a huge difference. If it's a Suri one, it's equivalent of 100 zoos. Whereas if it's a Mona Medina, it's only 12 and a half zoos. So big difference in the price. So Tashmat learned the answer here that there was a person who screamed in his friends here. Also, the victim came to Rebuzin Asiya. said to him, Here I am, and here is Rabbi Yosei Therefore, go give the man a monotsuri. tonight. So we see it's a monotsuri. We can conclude from this. So what what is going on here exactly? <coughs> so it's, it's, so so presumably, Rabbi was witnessing it and therefore obligating him to pay. And he's saying here is Rabbi meaning Rabbi was the opinion that it's a monotsuri, and therefore therefore you go pay the monotsuri, and therefore we resolved our question that the mana should be a monotsuri. But my, I know a lot We're trying to figure out what does he mean. Here I am, and here's Rabbi Zaglili. Maybe this is what Rabbi Zaglili was telling the guy. I just saw that you struck the person. And here's Rabbi Zaglili. We know his opinion. His opinion is that the payment should be a monetary. Therefore, I still have a monetary. Pay the monetary. 
It can't be that that was his intent because that would basically mean he saw him do it and he's obligating him to pay even though there's really no witnesses. Here is a judge who's being a witness. Remember, the Nasa Dain could a witness be a judge? I mean, he couldn't judge, rule on something based upon his own witnessing. We're not allowed to do that. Who observes someone killing a person? So some of the judges are made into witnesses, and some of them judge. So in other words, we're saying two of the judges stand up and testify in front of the others about the murder, and then the remaining judges can try it. But um, we cannot. So in other words, even though the remaining judges could have been witnesses, this opinion, Rabbi Tarfon says, they could still judge it, even though they could have been witnesses. Lamai said they weren't, and therefore they can judge it. That's Reb Tarfan. Reb Kiva says, No, they're all potential witnesses. They all saw the murder. They ain't aid Nasadai. A potential witness cannot be made into a judge. So, The was only if a potential witness could be a judge. Everyone agrees that someone who, who cannot be a judge just based upon something they saw. Everyone agrees <coughs> that you can't just see something and judge. The question was, so could the potential witnesses be judges? But for sure that that's true that you can't judge based upon something that you saw just yourself. You have to have a din of edus. So the Gemara is asking, how can Rebuza and Nesia just see that this person blew into the ear and just judge the case on his own? Says the Gemara, Kitanya, he went as that prize to talk on Jerubalaya. They saw it at night. So they were incapable of try, trying the case at that time. So really we're saying, according to Rebbe Tarifun, judges could um, judge based upon what they what they see. And the reason being, because there's a principle, Hearing about something cannot be greater than seeing it. So judges can decide something based upon something that they hear, surely they can decide it based upon something they see. But that's only true if they see it during the day, because then that's a time when Basin is able to operate. So then they just try on the spot based upon what they saw. Rabbi does Nesia, this case where he saw someone blow into his friend's ear, that wasn't such a case, and he was going like Rav Tarifun. But the prize was talking about that they saw it at night, and they're not empowered to be judges at night, so they would have to wait until the morning. But at the time in the morning, now they didn't see it. So then they would have to hear a testimony about it. Now what's interesting is that why can't in the morning, why can't they know about it to what they saw before? The answer is that's no good. They have to receive their information about the incident at the time of the trial. So either they could see it during the day or they could hear about it during the day. But they can't judge in the day based upon something that they saw in the previous the previous night. That cannot work. So that was the case with the Ritarfun, but in the case where Rabbi Denizia here, he saw it during the day, then he could just judge himself right on the spot. The Ibai same, or we could say another answer. This Rabbi Yunusi was telling the guy, Honor, this feel like Rabbi And there are witnesses who testify about what he did. So according to the second approach, there really were witnesses. Okay, now the Gemara moves to a tangent. We just want to discuss that Brisa, where the Sanhedrin saw a person kill, where we say some of them have to be um, judges. And, and, and some were witnesses, according to Reb Tafan. Reb Kiva said, no, since they're all potential witnesses, none of them can judge. So the Gemara says, if some Reb Kiva ain't in is it true that Reb Kiva really holds a potential witness can't be a judge? But says, in rise of Yika, Yishezreo, the Evanobak. Rav the Pasuk says, <coughs> men were fighting, a person strikes with a stone or with a fist. Just as a fist. What's unique about a fist? It's always available to inspect, both to the witnesses and to the court. Meaning, if we, if let's say an injury was inflicted by a punch, then we always have to examine it and to understand, was the fist powerful enough to make the injury? If let's say the fist was not, could not have done such damage, so then the person who struck would be exempt. It must be that there was something very weak about the victim or something wasn't really part of the blow. So we have to examine the weapon here. We have to examine the fist to make such a determination. And that fist is always available to the court and to witnesses. 
So too, we can only judge if the weapon, in other cases, is available to both the court and to the witnesses to inspect. Because the point is, the court has to be able to examine the assault weapon themselves. This excludes where the assault weapon was lost by the witnesses. So since the court cannot examine it, so then the case cannot be tried. That's the first opinion. Even if you do have the court, the weapon brought to the court, the court would still have to rely on the testimony because did, did they strike him in front of the court? That they know how many times he struck him. What part of the body did he strike him? Was it uh, on the calf? Was it part of the heart? Imagine in case someone pushes his friend off the roof. Omer should be from the tower. Omeis, the victim dies. Does the court go to the tower? Does the tower go to the court? And even furthermore, even if you do say that the court has to go and see the tower, what would happen if the tower collapsed before the courts are? Does the owner have to rebuild it so that the court can assess it? Of course not. Well, what's the point that we're bringing out? You always just rely on the Ethan. So therefore, we don't have a problem with the weapon either. Even if the weapon is lost, the court can simply rely on the words of the testimony. So what do we expound from the Pasuk? Just as the fist could be examined to the witnesses, of course you must lay them. So too, the weapon has to be examined to the witnesses, meaning the witnesses have to see it, to be able to describe it to the court. That excludes in the case where the stone was lost immediately before the witnesses could examine it. There, part of the perpetrator is exempt because we don't know if it could was capable, really capable of inflicting the injury. So, but the court, they don't have to be able to examine it. So the whole machlok has, yeah, that we're looking at is what happens if the if the thing got lost before and the, before the court could examine it. But the, the witnesses were able to examine it. So Shimon Timni says, no, the court has to examine it. And if they didn't examine it, then the guy is part of it. Whereas Rabbi Kiva says, as long as the witnesses examined it, then everything is fine. But Ketani Mias, the price is still set. I'm going to Did he strike him in front of the court? She didn't come well. Did the judges know how many times he was struck? That was the words that Rabbi Akiva used. So the implication is, how you call with Nam, is that had the guy struck the victim in front of the judges, then the witnesses would be able to rule upon it even without the witness, without any witnesses. So this contradicts Rabbi Akiva's own opinion in the previous price, that a judge who witnesses a crime is disqualified from judging it. He was just arguing in front of the view, in front of Rabbi Shimon Timni, but he himself didn't hold of it. Meaning, the reality is really Rabbi Kiva holds in in Asadai. He was just arguing the point to Shimon Timni within Shimon Timni Shita to bring out his point that it's ridiculous that the, 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 the weapon has to be brought to the court itself. But it happens to be that the particular case that Rabbi Akiva was saying in Akhanami wouldn't be true because Rabbi Akiva's personal Shita is that in aid Nasadai.